May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Today's reading from the Gospel of Luke contains some of our Lord's most shocking words. I fear they cannot be avoided. Jesus is famous for uttering dramatic pronouncements, the sharpest of which have become known as his hard sayings. Of all the hard sayings, this one might be the hardest. If anyone come to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What in the world are we to make of that? Well, I'll try. <laughs> there is one school of thought on this hardest of all hard sayings that I think we can reject right away. Some commentators have tried to argue that hate here means something like love less. You'll see some translations of the Bible even put these words in our Lord's mouth. On this view, Jesus is saying we must love our families less than we love him. But to these same commentators, this still sounds kind of tough and uncomfortable, so they rush to the next things that Jesus says. And they say, look, he gives us two examples here. First, if someone wants to build a tower, then they sit down and count the cost. And second, if a king is being confronted by an enemy army, he too will sit down first and take counsel. So, according to this school of thought, what Jesus is teaching us here is that we must carefully consider the cost of discipleship. Jesus, on this view, is telling us to be prudent when we're kind of trying to work out whether or not we are going to follow him. He's just said that coming to him as a disciple requires us to love our families less, so this thing about building a tower and meeting an enemy army is really just underscoring the same point, the point being that we should calculate the odds. Ask yourself, can I really do that? Can I love my family less than I love Jesus? Jesus is saying, think hard about it first before you commit, right? Or so we're told. I don't think this is right. I think we should reject this interpretation. And for me, it all starts to fall apart with just one word. That word is in the last verse of today's gospel reading. The word I have in mind is the word, therefore. So therefore, Jesus says, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So here's my concern. My concern is that the word therefore announces that Jesus is drawing a conclusion from what he has just said. That's what the word therefore means. But this conclusion does not follow from what Jesus just said. If what he just said means we should be prudent and think hard about what we are doing before we decide to commit to him. Renouncing all that we have is not the conclusion that follows from advice to be prudent and count the cost. 
renouncing all that we have is actually being entirely imprudent and completely disregarding the cost. The examples of the builder and the king weighing up their resources, I don't think this is supposed to be worldly wise advice. Our Lord is not in the business of dispensing helpful tips for living. Jesus, I think, is not telling us that sitting down, counting the cost, taking counsel is the right way to think about committing to him. In fact, I suspect it's the opposite. We are not to sit down. In fact, he's just told us we are to stand up, pick up our cross, and follow him on the road he is taking. We are not to count the cost. We are to cheerfully pay the cost. We are not to take counsel from others. We are to listen to him only and to his call upon our lives. So if I'm right about this, then maybe we're closing in on the real meaning of this hard saying. The conclusion of it is in that therefore, right? The therefore that he wants us to take away from this teaching is that we cannot be his disciple unless we each renounce all that he has. That's the takeaway. And so I want to take a closer look at this little phrase in the Greek. The word we translate as renounce here means literally something like to say goodbye to or to farewell. And this phrase, all that he has, comes from a word that means to begin or to already have something or to already be something. So if we could be a little more free with this, we could render this final conclusion of our Lord's teaching as something along these lines. Therefore, anyone who does not say goodbye to everything he already has, anyone who does not say goodbye to everything that he already is, cannot be my disciple. But that, I think, is what we are being asked to do, to say goodbye to everything we already have, to everything that we already are. I hope that sounds pretty radical, because it is. And this interpretation of the hard saying that I've criticized today, I reject because it makes our Lord sound not radical enough. They're trying to soften the hardness of this hard saying. But I'm going to go farther still. Because I think the truth is more radical yet. Consider the tiny book of Philemon, written by the Apostle Paul. We heard it read today. That short passage is actually almost the entirety of the book as a whole. It's a very brief letter. And Paul writes this letter to Philemon because a slave named Onesimus has escaped Philemon's company 
and joined himself to Paul. Paul now regards Onesimus not as a slave, but as his son. And in verse 12, he says to Philemon, I am sending Onesimus back to you. I'm sending my very heart. So what's Paul doing? He's renouncing Onesimus. He's saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to his very heart. And he asks Philemon to take Onesimus back, not as a slave, not as a slave, but as a beloved brother, he says. And this possibility, this possibility that Onesimus might now be a brother to Philemon, and no longer his slave, this possibility of changed relationship between them is the very reason Paul thinks that Onesimus was parted from Philemon for a time. He writes these words. Perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. So Philemon said goodbye to Onesimus, but he receives back the one he said goodbye to. He receives him back not as a slave, but as a brother. And while they were separated for a while, now he receives him back forever. Paul is saying goodbye to Onesimus, even though he is like a son to him, his very own heart. He does not say goodbye because he hates Onesimus. It's just the opposite. He says goodbye because he loves him. He says goodbye because that is the cost of Onesimus becoming more than a slave, but a son and a brother. And this is what happens when we really love someone. Love does not make the beloved a slave. Love frees us from slavery. It frees us for brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ forever. You'll notice that Paul says he could demand that Philemon do the right thing. But it's because of love, his love for Philemon, that he says, I won't. Instead, I appeal to you. And that, that is what love does. I would argue, too, that Paul 
does not lose Onesimus. Because of the love he and Philemon and Onesimus share, they are now brothers in Christ, even though in some sense we have to say goodbye. So here's the radical truth as I see it. How are we supposed to hate our family? The real answer, I think, is that we are meant to say goodbye to them in order to follow Christ while trusting that in doing so, we do not forsake them, but that our relationship to them changes. Who we are as children and spouses and siblings is all that we have, and it shapes so profoundly all that we already are. But Christ calls us to say goodbye to them in order to have more, more, than what we already have. More love to share with still others. Christ calls us to say goodbye to them so that we may become more than what we already are. In fact, we say goodbye to our beloved so that they will have more love to share ultimately. We say goodbye to them so that they can become more than what they already are. Jesus Christ asks us to say goodbye to all that we have and to all that we are. But he is not like a jealous husband who tries to confiscate all his wife's love and make her cut off her relationships with her siblings and her parents and her friends. Our loves do not compete with one another for our love. Rather, the more love is shared, the more love there will be for all to share. Because here's the thing. This is the mistake we have to correct. Love is not a finite commodity. It's not like a pie, right, where if I'm going to give Jesus a larger slice of the pie, I have to give my wife and my son and my sister and my parents a smaller piece of pie. That's not how it works. There is not only so much love to go around. Love is infinite. There's always more. And if I love Jesus more, I do not have to love my wife and my son and my sister and my father and my mother less. But there is a cost. There is a cost. Think about when we marry, we promise to love our spouse until death, until death do us part. That's the cost of our love. We must be prepared 
to say goodbye. Not today, not tomorrow, but one day. And in the meantime, because I love my wife, I will not demand that she love her parents or her sisters or her friends less so that she can love me more. And because I love my son, I will not make him a slave. But rather, we hope and prepare for the day when he will leave us and live his own life in freedom. They are all that I have. They are all that I am. But I'm ready to say goodbye. That's the cost. But there's also a promise. Jesus Christ promises us that what we renounce, what we say goodbye to, in order to follow him, we get back. We get back a hundredfold. We get the ones we love back once we have said goodbye to them. They come back to us not as our failed, imperfect parents, not as our wayward, rebellious children, not as our unreliable spouses, but as our brothers and sisters in Christ forever. Jesus Christ is the Lord of love. He is not asking us to hate our families. He's not even asking us to love them less. He's asking us to love them even more. Amen.